Hey everybody, this is Marky Ramon, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. They definitely do. Hey, this is Todd Zuckerman from Styx. You're listening to Iron City Rocks. Sixty-eight of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing the best rock, hard rock, and heavy metal talk on the net. Episode 468, we are joined by, I think this might be the third, possibly the fourth time, Lawrence Gowan of Sticks uh, joining us to talk about the new Sticks album, which has been out just for about two months now, Crash of the Crowns. Um, an amazing album. Uh, for fans of the classic sticks progressive rock style so we're going to get into all the details on that they're out on the road right now unfortunately not coming to western pennsylvania just yet but as lawrence mentions it's pittsburgh it's sticks they'll be back soon Uh, so we're going to get into that interview with him also we have rishi of the band eternal boy talking about the four chord festival which is coming up later this month in uh, washington pennsylvania so we're going to get all the details on that and then joining us, uh, new artist Kurt Deemer, uh, who is opening for Jeff Tate on his show at Jurgles uh, later in September as well. So without further ado, we're going to play a little bit of the brand new Sticks to give you a taste for it, and we'll get into the interview with Lawrence Gallup. Gentlemen, my pleasure to welcome to Iron City Rocks. We have Lawrence Gowan of Sticks. How are you doing, Lawrence? Very well, John. How's yourself? I'm doing quite well as well. Um, you recently released uh, what is, I believe, the 17th studio album from Sticks. Um, yeah. The, the uh, Crash of the Crown, which is obviously yeah. you've been around for many of those albums, being in the band for 22 years or so. Um, yeah. This album, I noticed, and even the mission, you guys worked with Will Ivankovich uh, in a songwriting yeah. capacity. Can you talk a little bit about the dynamic of working with him? I know obviously this is not the first time you guys have done that, but um, sure. how do you kind of go about deciding whose ideas stick and where you get involved and where Tommy? <laughs> Great question. Tommy Shaw had worked with Willie Vankovich about, I think they started working together around 2008 or nine, when uh, he was doing a, a Shaw Blades tour. So they added a, brought a third guy along, uh, and I think I think he actually met him through Jack Blades, and he just worked out really well, and he's a really good writer. And then he had a band called American Drag that opened up some shows for Sticks, and another really good band. And you could hear that that he had, you know good songwriting instincts and and uh just a, a good guy to hang with you know he's just he was kind of kind of musically sympathetic with us and and it kind of fit 
Then Tommy wound up working on a solo record with him. Uh, it was a, a bluegrass record they did mm-hmm. together. So a few more years went by, and, and um, suddenly, you know, Universal came back. Uh, it, it, it becoming the, the band's record company again. We we rejoined them after having been a, uh, with a couple of other different companies in the first part of the, the first ten years that I was in the band. So we we're back with Universal, and they were kind of thinking about how could we make a new record that um, you know has someone as, as more or less like a referee yeah. <laughs> that can be a producer, a producer for it. And Tommy suggested Will, and he really likes working with him. And uh, I, I'd already met him, obviously, a, a number of times. And I, I wound up going to Nashville as we were working on starting on the mission. And uh, it kind of worked just really well, having him be in charge because he wasn't a member of the band, but he was right. in the producer and writer capacity. And we came up with songs that were really strong. You know, that Radio Silence was really great. He al- they already had Locomotive and, and Mission to Mars. And and uh, suddenly, you know, very quickly, the, the sound of what we wanted to, to get at, which is a classic stick sound, but yet with using all of the, the tools the band has at its disposal today, he was able to kind of call all that together and, and, and pull that together while we wrote touring you know we do a little bit of recording and come back and listen right. to what will had uh, had pulled together from the from the sessions and it just got better and better to the point where we finally finished the mission you know he was the producer on that record and that kind of you know the success of that album you know universal wanted another record you know almost immediately and, and that's a great thing to happen at this stage in our career yeah, yeah. so it just seemed it, it was a, a um a natural fit that we would just, you know, continue working with Will. And when we finished Crash of the Crown, you know, oh, sorry, I should also add that when we played a few shows of, of the mission in their, in its entirety, we did a few in, in Las Vegas and in Boston, and we were about to do a couple of nights in New York when the pandemic hit. Will was the, uh, we added him to the, to the, to the stage presentation because there was extra instrumentation on those records that he could, uh, that he could add and vocal harmonies. And that worked out again so well that we thought, well, with Crash to the Crown, it's the same thing. We're, we're we have these extra parts that are, that are very uh, idiosyncratic to Will's playing, and it's like, why don't we just make him a member of the band? And uh, you know, after, and so that's where we've been and touring this year from June until the present. Uh, Will's been part of the band and also uh, a great musical uh, collaborator on uh, on these last two albums. It's, it's interesting to hear you talk about how he became involved with the band because in a lot of ways it parallels your involvement with the band you know from from opening band to here you are yeah you know it's 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 kind of neat to see not dissimilar at all yeah not dissimilar at all he will had the you know over me he he had the um the great experience of working with many acts over over the course of his career so he really is great at kind of pinpointing what the strengths are of, of any act that he's worked with and um with sticks as i said it was it, it, was, it was a natural kind of musical simpatico that was there but yeah there was there was definitely that um that that sense of uh, you know he was on the bill with the band yeah. much like myself and then the next thing you know you're uh, here you are you're up there with them yeah so, i mean that's got to be kind of a hard line to walk when you when you're putting together an album from a band that, you know with such a long career in the prog yeah. genre where you know you, you're used to a certain sound uh you obviously 
want to change with the times and the technology makes some things easier. But to still make it sound like a Styx album, and I think you guys yeah. really, really captured that with this record, um, where I listened to it and I, you know, listened to Pieces of Eight not that long ago. Just you know, it was one of its anniversaries. It seems like every two days somebody's album is hitting a 40th <laughs> anniversary, 50th anniversary. And uh, that's right. You know, this doesn't sound like wow, that's a totally different band. You guys have really brought in elements that give it a consistent sound but it's still very new very fresh um were, were there things you kind of consciously have to do maybe like you know especially with you when you're when you're picking maybe a a synth sound for an album that you still want to kind of stay true to some of the original styles of sounds john you you're you're right exactly in the in what goes through our minds you know minute by minute <laughs> Yeah. so to speak, when we're making these records and doing the shows, quite frankly. But you, you've really touched on the, the, the central uh, the central goal here. It was, and this started with the mission, was to say, you know, we've, the band has, has evolved into mm-hmm. what it is today. We have all the all the tools at our disposal with uh, with having the, the, the newer members, like Todd Zuckerman, who's been in the band for, you know, a quarter of a century yeah. plus. And you know what I mean? And, and we've got Ricky Phillips with all of his uh, pedigree as well. We still have three guys from the from the uh, from the seventies with Tommy Shaw and James Young and, and Chuck Pinazzo. and uh, you know, trying to make a record that when you have a legacy of of a band band like Sticks or any band mm-hmm. from that era, part of what people fall in love with, and and we really begin to notice that the younger people who weren't even born when these records with their biggest records were made in the in the classic rock days yeah they're in love with the sound of classic rock they love that sound and so do we and so we we have to kind of we we run everything through that i I wouldn't call it a filter it's more of a blender because we're we're actually trying to keep as many of the elements from that era keep them alive as long as possible because that was all part of the process of what made those records sound the way they sounded first of all you first of all let's, let's talk about the fact that it's an album an album is a but roughly a 40 minute piece of music that that is supposed to carry you from beginning to end and it's an experience that's only interrupted by you having to flip over the the uh, the record <laughs> at the 20 minute mark and so that's that's a, a certain you know piece of entertainment that we're trying to <clears throat> that we're trying to uh, come up with it needs to tie in some ways to the best records that they ever made in some manner there has to be a a link there that that's quite obvious so from my little <clears throat> corner of the room uh what i do is i i use in particular on crash of the crown uh on these last two albums, I use only vintage instruments from that era. Okay. So I use, you know, I've got a Steinway grand piano and a, and a 1950s B3 and a, uh, you know, a 1979 Oberheim. And actually on Crash of the Crown, I finally got to use my 1971 Mellotron, one of the original ones that was, you know, ever made of the, of the M400. There are only 2,500 in the world. And I think they can only account now for less than 1,200 of them. So having, using that as the palette, so to speak, that every song has to has to kind of fit with that palette from mm-hmm. my from my corner of the room means that all the other instruments fall into into line with that, and there is a margin where <clears throat> we take whatever is you know in our current musical 
of vocabulary and, and something that we feel is really relevant to where the band is right now. Th- those things sneak in from time to time, but the basic core of the record is is using those, that instrumentation and it's recorded to tape, so it still hits actual oxide tape before we use all the nice. the, uh, the the fantastic digital tools that can that can do the editing. So anyway, long-winded answer for for that, but that really is central to to why these last two albums in particular tie so well to to that classic rock era. Yeah, it really does. I mean, it's it's <clears throat> it's almost uncanny when you listen to it because it's you know they're they're new songs. You know, you're you're not the same musicians necessarily. In, in you know, obviously JY right. and Tommy, or you know, their style of guitar playing, even their style evolves over 40 years. I mean, no one. It does. Uh, you I know. mean, you listen to listen to what Tommy does on this record with, um, particularly with uh, his slide guitar playing, and mm-hmm. and he makes great use of this, uh, the, the, the what's called a whammy pedal. Yeah. Uh, I, I, he uses it in a manner that I've never heard anyone else quite use it, and. There are moments when I'm thinking, God, it's almost like he's he's using this new technology or the, 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 these new ways of, of approaching things that weren't on Sticks records before. But he's channeling all of the same musical instincts through those things. So that that's part of the margin that I'm speaking of, where uh, yeah. where something current comes into the uh, you know into into the brew and uh, and it still works. Lawrence, is there kind of a, a- how do you go about deciding who sings on what? Because I know, I mean, there's songs, JY, you know, Tommy, and you all are, are singing, you know, quote, lead vocals. Yeah. You guys obviously have one of the best harmonies of any band going. But I mean, how do you approach who steps up to the mic on what song? I, you know, that, uh, another really good one, and probably unique to Sticks. The name, normally. And we and like say on Psychorama, whoever wrote whatever song that mm-hmm. that album we put out in 2003, you know whoever wrote it sings it. And that's not the case in these last two albums, right. and, and it's curious to me because take for example the title track Crash of the Crown, we had we had that middle section kind of scoped out where Tommy and I are singing that together, and mostly he takes the lead on that part, but. We had this riff thing at the at the top that we weren't sure what to do with or even if it would end up in that song. And we realized, you know, we need a JY vocal on this. So I wound up writing the melody that go and lyrics to the beginning of that song. But I wrote it specifically hoping that JY would sing it in that low baritone mm-hmm. of his and, and kind of bring it home. Meanwhile, Tommy and Will had written the ending part of the song where I take over the vocal. So it really the decision is made really on whose voice sounds best on this. You know, who, who who's kind of who's conveying the, uh, the the spirit of this lyric in the most uh, authentic way. So, for example, I find that really I, I don't know if there's another band that's quite like that because, for example, the song Reveries, I wasn't part of the writing on that one, <laughs> but I sing lead on it. Yeah, because Tommy Tommy had a great vocal on it, but he just kind of went. I somehow think that you would. Your, your timbre of voice would 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 um, convey this in it, it a little better. Yeah. So we tried it, and it and it kind of worked. And then we you know we hit the harmonies and the choruses anyway, and and that's uh, so yeah, that is that is a rather odd thing. And we kind of leave it to it, it's a great moment actually where everyone puts aside their own um, 
desire for the spotlight. And believe me, the guys at Sticks, we, we all we all love yeah. to be the center of attention. I, I don't think there's a band that, that's more extroverted, you know, as yeah. far as the show goes than Sticks. But in the recording, it, it really is not only quite democratic, but it's also it really the the spirit of of what the band is 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 moves to the to the front of the agenda as far as who who winds up doing what. Yeah, and I was trying to think as you were explaining that, you know, even back to you know, through the Beatles and some bands that had people who, you know, multiple people who sang in the band, like Kiss, <clears throat> Kiss for example, it always seemed yeah. to fall who, on who wrote it. I mean, there are a couple exceptions here or there with any of those bands, but you guys, it, it seems almost like, you know, someone puts the names in a hat. Nope, we're going to have Tommy <clears throat> sing this one. Um, but you're right. It, yeah. It's, it's I guess, what's best for the song, and that's, you know, that... People's egos being in check enough to allow that is is a wonderful thing. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that's tremendous. Are you able to to work much of this? But you guys, you know, you're, you're on the road perpetually. Even you know, in the pandemic, you were one of the first bands I remember kind of getting out of the gate back on the other side. Yep. Are you able to to with the back catalog get much of this album into your set, or is that still kind of a struggle? <laughs> Here's how we do it. Um, First of all, you'll notice that although the album's only, I guess, roughly, as I say, 40 minutes long, I think it's a little mm-hmm. more than that, but, but roughly 20 minutes aside, maybe 21 minutes, um, the songs are really succinct. They're very short. Yeah. And uh, one blends into the next and <clears throat> to, to the point where you, you almost don't know that you're into the next song until you're halfway through. Yeah. Uh, just the way that the album's sequenced and, and where the... Um, there aren't many breaks between songs. So we've taken that approach with playing the songs in the show. And so, for example, we open the, the album opens with Fight of Our Lives and our show, you know, for this summer, all these shows we've done this year, we open with Fight of Our Lives. But before you know it, it segues straight into Blue Collar Man. So there's there's this kind of seamless um, connection but between the present and the past where the audience are never kind of um, they're, they're never kind of forced to indulge something brand new, or it's it's not necessarily sold to them as something new, but really as something as part of the whole fabric of the show itself. Yeah. Uh, another great another great example is you know one of my favorite songs in the record is "Sound the Alarm," and Tommy sings that right, going straight into Crystal Ball, and the two of them I, I hear very much as bookends of his career, you know where where one is about looking into the future and the one and the other is about acknowledging that things have not gone mm-hmm. <laughs> entirely as planned sure. and uh, we've got to do better. So the, the, those two ideas and, and those two musical things, they, they, they link together really, really well um, in the show. And so I, I find that with this album, with Crash of the Crown, it, it, it seems that the audience I think part of the, the, their mindset right now is they want something new, even though they want all the traditional things in yeah. there, and we give them all those things. They want the legacy of the band to be upheld, but just the mindset right now seems to be like, I want something new in my life. Yeah, And that that kind of plays well into our, our current state of, uh, of being. Yeah, I think probably it helps. There's a lot of bands, kind of up-and-coming bands, in the same kind of classic rock vein. I mean, it's not classic, I guess, if you're a new band. Yeah. But, but, you know, <laughs> and so audiences are maybe getting in, in back in that mindset of hearing new material. You know, we look at, you know, the last 20 years, some amazing albums have been released from, from quote, classic rock bands that never 
get played on the radio or they get played once right. you know maybe uh, leading up to a show but you know I think the one thing that probably helps in your, in as you mentioned though is that I think you've only got one song that, on that album that actually breaks four minutes um, with common ground yeah. and that that helps yeah. that you're not trying to lay down a 12 minute song that you know maybe half the audience hasn't heard yet um, although you know I think they might kick you guys out of the prog rock u- uh, union for not having a song in the 12 minute range but <laughs> You know, it, it certainly is. <laughs> yeah. It's a more digestible piece of music for somebody who maybe isn't familiar with the song. You know, that that that's an excellent observation. The um, we could easily have amalgamated this into an eight-song album mm-hmm. because, as I said, that one thing leads into the next in a very seamless way. Sure. Common ground is one that where we didn't break it up. We decided, mm-hmm. okay, let's leave this as, as one piece. Uh, but but really. You know, lost at sea and 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 coming out the other side. That those are really almost like one song right sure. there. So I mean, you can extend them that way. Um, but as you say, John, it, you know, it is a tough, it's a tough set list to crack, and yeah. we're aware of that. You know, so the things have to fit in in a very um, logical manner, and and in a way that it doesn't disrupt from the uh, the flow of, of what the show is or or it doesn't feel like there's a moment of apologetic uh you know excuse mm-hmm. us now while we play something new that that can't be part of it at all it has to be that this is um we're we're laying out here the 50 year history of a band that that's been around you know for half a century and you're going to you're going to you know we 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 are definitely the culmination of all the eras that the band has has withstood and and uh and gone through so yeah um it it helps that that we each kind of are editing each other's um you know lofty ideas of where it should go and eventually it comes out with a uh with a uh you know the collective mind really uh you know comes up with much better ideas sure i mean do you guys talk i i know this album has been in the works for a while now and the enthusiasm, even in, in speaking with Todd during the recording process that you guys had for this, does does it seem like another album is just going to be coming much sooner than maybe the distance between the mission and Crash the Crown, or is it it's somewhat somewhat of a, still a business decision? I can't predict that. I really can't. I think that um, first of all, the the uh, the mandate right now, or the desire for for the band to play everywhere, yeah, because it's, you know our manager. It's just you know now the floodgates are opening. Um, you know there, there aren't enough days in the year for all for all the shows that he could book. So if we wind up, you know, st- staying on the uh, on tour for a longer period of time, the cool thing about having Will with us is we can start to kind of mm-hmm. uh, you know, these these ideas can begin to flourish and, and and take shape while we're on the road. This is this is our plan. You know we, we you know. You make these plans, but then life dictates exactly yeah. what's going to happen. And at, at this point, it seems like we've got we've got two recent albums that really deserve, you know, to be toured and toured extensively in, in the manner that we're doing right now. Yeah. Last last question, and and obviously, probably for the entire time you've been in the band, there have been questions about damn Yankees previous members in the band who've been yeah. making some noise yep. about wanting to do one last hurrah. Is it hard to keep from being distracted for that? I won't ask you your opinion on those things happening, but does that sometimes kind of creep into your head, you know, when this is your livelihood? 
<laughs> yeah, you know, uh, yeah, there's the great thing about any band having some kind of um, some kind of side drama is that it, it's all part of the. Uh, I look at it as it's all part of the story of the band. You know, mm. I. I fully acknowledge and am respectful of the fact that the band is as great as it is today because of the we are the culmination of the efforts of everyone who's ever been in the band and with, with the addition of Willie Vankovich that's only 11 people in, in near 50, it'll be 50 years as of February 2022 so that's a relatively low number of people but everyone has made enough of a contribution or a, a strong enough contribution to it that it is what it is today now Again, life is going to dictate what's what's going to happen in the future. Whether how how who the next member of the band is going to be, if there will ever be enough, another member. Uh, I look at it like it's almost best to kind of if you're in music or if you're in entertainment, I, I can never really look further ahead than six months. Yeah. So I look at our tour. Like when you ask me about making a new record, I'm sitting here working on new songs all the time and. And, you know, we're jamming new things in the dressing room. But really, it's we'll see how the next six months unfolds. And let's see, let's see what, you know, what what's in the cards. And then that's that's going to be what 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 happens next. Sure. It's just going to roll up. As, as far as it being a distraction, not really, because my main focus, particularly when we're on the road, is there are thousands of people that are coming to see us again tonight. And you know, we played in Phoenix last night. We're here here again tonight. And my goal in the day is to make sure that they're standing on their feet with big smiles on their faces and their arms in the air at the end of the night, because that's how I like to end my day. Yeah, <laughs> and so does the rest of the band. So I don't really have time for the, to to indulge too heavily in those distractions of whether Tommy's going to you know go and play with the uh, Damn Yankees or go and do another bluegrass record or if, or if, you know guys that were in the band before and you know Dennis DeYoung or, or Glenn Burtnick for that matter if they're you know, if they may come back into the uh, into the circle of performing with the band, I don't know. You know, if um, we'll we'll see how that comes about. But I can't. I just don't spend that much. I mean, I spend no time thinking about that, quite frankly, because I'm either writing new stuff either for myself or for Sticks or going and playing the shows. So um, it's good to keep busy. Yeah, yeah, and I think if if COVID's taught anybody anything, is that you know. You do really need to kind of focus on the here and the now and, and, you know, making sure that those people you see tonight, tomorrow night, are having the time of their lives. So, Lawrence, yeah, I want to... Yeah, that's, that's such a great point, John. This, this past year, we've all, we've all learned a lot about ourselves and about how and the world and how it works and how it doesn't work. And um, we really, so much of it, we have to surrender to whatever whatever we can do best on the day that's that's good for ourselves and good for everyone else or as many people as possible so that, that's that's a great little philosophy to 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 close this on and uh yeah it's great to talk to you again yeah lawrence i appreciate it thank you so much and, and hopefully we'll see you in pittsburgh once the booking agent tells you to head out this way but it's been a pleasure man <laughs> Well, you, you know, it's, you know that's going to happen because Pittsburgh's such a central town for sticks. You know, I, I don't think there's a Steelers game that's gone by in the last ten years no. where they haven't played Renegade. No, I so, uh, yeah, yeah. Pee Wee game and they put Renegade on. Yeah. It's like okay, this has become the fabric of Western Pennsylvania. <laughs> so, hats off to you guys for yeah. that. Well, we'll see you there very soon. I'm sure. Great talking to you. All right, all right. Take care, Lawrence. Take. Care.
Thank you to Lawrence Gowan again, Sticks Crash of the Crown, available now, a fantastic album. And also, if you enjoy it, check out The Mission, which came out uh, 2017, I believe it was. Uh, equally impressive album. Uh, great stuff from Sticks. Can't wait to see them live uh, when they come back this way. And as we said, it won't be long. We're going to turn our attention now to uh, a band out of Pittsburgh, a band that has had some really worldwide success. The band is Eternal Boy. Uh, you may remember them as the Space Pimps. They changed their name in 2017. We're going to talk to Rishi Ball about the band's newest album, uh, Bad Days Are Over, and also an amazing event going on on September 17th, which is very, very soon, Wild Things Park. It's the Four Chord Music Fest Volume 7. An amazing lineup rise against the used, uh, obviously Eternal Boy, the Ataris, the list goes on. It's fourchordmusicfestival.com. We're going to play you a little bit of Eternal Boy, get into that interview with you. Ladies and gentlemen, my pleasure to welcome to the show from Eternal Boy, we have Rishi Ball on the line. How are you doing, Rishi? Hey, man. I'm doing well. How are you? I am doing quite well. You guys have um, an awesome album. My bad days are over. Um, and I had a chance to catch the L Word video, which was kind of my introduction to the band. Uh, and it just hit me like a lightning bolt. We need to get the word out about you guys at home. You know, you guys are having a, a great run of it, almost globally. But you know, we need to you give some seven two four and four one two love to the band. So, um, can you talk a little bit? I mean, you guys do sort of a, a pop punk. What was your kind of your indoctrination into that style of music? Was it that kind of led you into that direction? Oh, good question. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, super appreciative of anything, obviously, in Pittsburgh, too. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, we are a pop-punk band. You know, in, in within the punk genre, that can sometimes be a curse word, particularly mm-hmm. in 2021, yeah. um, after the rise of Blink and Green Day and so on and so forth. But I got into uh, the punk world first through my sister, actually. My sister was kind of um, into a lot of local bands, actually, in the, in the early 2000s that... Um, she's older than me, so she was into bands like the Buzz Poets mm-hmm. and Dharma Sons and uh, the Distorted Penguins and these this kind of local, um, you know, Pittsburgh world that kind of straddled the line of like rock and pop and punk. And uh, she ultimately got uh, the Blink 182 Dude Ranch CD, which had their first kind of big hit, Damn It, on it. And I I stole it once when I was in middle school or, or elementary school, um, and that was like my first. Um, kind of introduction to like punk, pop punk. It wasn't pop punk wasn't even a thing then, I guess. But and then like you know back then it's like you kind of just like look at the liner notes and you see that like oh you know the guitar player from Blink has a has a Bad Religion sticker on his guitar or like right. you know and then I ultimately got really into like the Warp Tour like 
you know, like 99 Warped Tour lineup, which was, you know, again, Blink and Bad Religion and No Effects, the Ataris, uh, Less Than Jake, like a lot of the, the Warped world. But I really owe it to my sister for getting into the genre. Yeah, that's it's kind of it's kind of neat to hear that because you you I think you're enough younger, um, well certainly enough younger when, when you mention those bands that, you know the concept of I think you know to to a slightly older audience who's into punk, pop and punk don't necessarily make sense together. You know mm-hmm. you, you listen to the to the concept when you when you grow up with Black Flag and early Social Distortion and the Ramones and, and some of that stuff. I mean I guess the Ramones probably did probably most blur that line into pop because it was a mm-hmm. very approachable it is a rock fan uh, to me um when did you start as a singer or did, were you a guitarist who just couldn't find a guy to do that do it right so you decided to sing yourself <laughs> yeah so i uh i like my parents had me had me like play piano growing up and mm-hmm. stuff like that but i mean yeah i mean i, I and then i actually played drums for years but um, I, I picked up the guitar when I was 17. I mean, that's like when I started. Like, I, for years, I didn't do, like, playing bands or anything. And then when I was 17, uh, me and one of my friends from high school, we went to this, like, strict private high school in Western PA. Uh, we both were the only two people in the entire my entire class that was into the genre. Uh, he was a drummer, a really good drummer, and, you know, I, I then moved to guitar. Um, but we were originally called, and for years, we were called this, and we played and toured all over the world for years. We were called the Space Pimps. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we were stuck with that name for a while because we got signed to a label, and then he kind of like started touring, and then we actually changed the band name to Eternal Boy. Um, oh, recently in 2017, we did a like a rebrand. But yeah, so I, I did. I, I you know started when I was in a band. Band it was playing guitar and singing, and I was in chamber choir in high school and all that dorky stuff too. So. So you've got it's interesting to, to talk about. I want to get back to the name change certainly, but but when you look at you know you mentioned you played piano, you were in a choir, you know you're you know at least on the surface that would give a pedigree of you know someone who's been trained in, in music to a degree. You know you you don't pick up the piano kind of haphazardly, mm-hmm. um, but then you think of punk guitar and sometimes you think of that as you know people kind of look <laughs> down their nose at it was. Was it something that for you was it was challenging to move to guitar, or at that point was it just a matter of once you could figure out the bar chord and hold it well enough to make all six <laughs> strings ring out, you were good to go? That's a really good question, and I, I that is a that is a really kind of uh, widely held paradigm about punk music, particularly pop punk music. Um, I just another quick aside. I actually um, one of my favorite bands is a band called the Ataris. Mm-hmm. They had a, a, a big, big hit record in the in the like 2003, 2004 called So Long Storia. Their old record. They have a song called Four Chord Wonder, which is like a kind of a they wrote in '99, '98. It's just like kind of a joke about like the simplicity of punk rock and pop right. punk. And I actually ultimately started um, a record label and a music festival here in Pittsburgh called the Four Chord Music Festival, right. which is all punk rock, all pop punk, all day. And um, yeah, I do think that it's a bit weird. You know, I remember my choir teacher in high school when I started the band, um, and we had like performed at our high school here in, in, in Pittsburgh uh, the night before. I walked in, and on the piano, he played like the, the most simplistic T riff to make fun of me. T riff is just like a four chord wonder right. that every pop song's ever been written. Um, it was a it's, it's not weird for me because I think that songwriting and being a good musician are two separate categories. I know that that's not always accepted um, or, or at least understood to some degree, but yeah. I think that 
there are most of the people that are really good songwriters are not amazing musicians, but they can understand like the simplicity of a pop or rock song. Yeah. Um, and that's really what I've embraced over the last decade or so is understanding how to write a good song as opposed to getting caught up in the in the complexity of theory. You're exactly right. I think that at the end of the day, you know, when you walk away from a song, even the most simple song, and it's in your head, you know, you've, you've got a melody in your head, you've got a chorus in your head, you, you're singing a guitar riff even. That's a sign of, of doing your job as a songwriter correctly, whereas mm-hmm. you don't often walk around singing, you know, sweeping arpeggios from Ingve Malmsteen. Um, <laughs> you know, so there, there's something to be said for songwriting. You're absolutely right. I mean, how many people have written amazing songs out of a D, a G, and a C chord, even though, mm-hmm. you know, they call it your three chord music, um, but have written amazing <laughs> songs that did stay with you in just that simple framework. So certainly... Oh, uh, definitely. I, I definitely agree with that, yeah. Was the... Um, do you think having the drum background kind of benefited you, you know, in, you know, when I think of, you know, a lot of punk, the, the guitar tends to play a very almost percussive sort of uh, mm-hmm. lines to it. You know, you're, you're doing a lot of eighth notes or sixteenth notes. Um, did that help you? Oh, definitely. Yes. Yeah. yeah, this is a really good interview. Most people don't ask about this kind That's, of process. Yeah, I, I totally agree. That's um, the percussiveness of punk rock is kind of what I think like attracts a lot of people that they don't even realize. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, there's something very um, regimented about like, you know, the kick drum following the rhythm section of the bass and the rhythm guitar. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's something very, um, very unique about punk music that does that. And then that forces you kind of when you're young to learn how to do a palm mute correctly. And so like yeah. you're already like because you're you're pre uh, set from listening to this kind of percussive way of playing music to, to kind of really do it well. And I, I totally agree. The percussive part for me made it really easy. And it's also it also kind of helps with the songwriting too. You know, I think that that knowing how to play the drums, you know, um, I would say I'm a better drummer than I'm a guitar player, to be honest with you. Uh, I think that 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 can really lend itself to being able to write songs in a cohesive way. I have to assume, and this is just a guess because a lot of people, you know, like myself, can't walk and chew gum at the same time. Being a <laughs> singer and, and playing the guitar is, you know, you, you've got to have your brain kind of moving in two different directions, similar to, you know, I think of a dr- drummer's, you know, right hand and left foot, or I'm sorry, right hand, right foot, mm-hmm. and also, you know. You know that that style. Even the piano player. You know, sometimes you're doing things on your left hand that are completely independent of your right hand. Growing mm-hmm. up myself as mm-hmm. a, is strictly a guitar player. I feel like an idiot when I try to do that kind of stuff. I can't. You know, always get that. <laughs> Did it help you? You know, because singing and playing is not necessarily an easy thing to do. There are a lot of people, myself included, who really struggle with that. That's again, great question. It's like, so so um, a bunch of like my I don't. Know, I'm also, not to keep throwing stuff on you, I'm also a college professor Mm -hmm. um, at La Roche University. I'm a marketing professor. And a lot of the professors, like, obviously, I'm, like, the youngest professor there. But, like, a lot of the professors that are really into music, that grew up in the 70s, you know, they listen to, you know, Eternal Boy. And, of course, they get it, you know, if they're into rock music and listen to to similar, you know, Mm -hmm. or comparable or at least comparable things in the 70s. The thing they always bring up is that ability uh, to, like, 
chugga super fast and palm you super fast and sing at the same time. Right. That's something that a lot of like maybe the older guitarists have tend to have a, a, a bigger problem with because palm muting was not huge then. Right. It just wasn't something that was as popular as it was when the Ramones came and Black Flag and Descendants mm-hmm. and Screeching Weasel and the Queers and, you know, the New York Dolls and like stuff like that. Like it wasn't until then that we really started seeing that palm mute singing thing. And even then, all those bands I mentioned, they had a lead singer and a guitar player. The, the, the singer, for the most part, wasn't singing and playing. Right. So I think that it took a while for me to really get that. Um, but again, I think playing drums really helped me do that. Yeah, I thought that may. Now, you mentioned the marketing professor. You mentioned a band name change. Perfect yeah. segue to what can be career suicide for some bands. What <laughs> what prompted you guys to say, okay, from a marketing brand perspective, the Space Pimps is not working for us. You know, I mean, if you had had, you know, no success, no recognition, no tours, fine. You know, bands change their name all the time. They pick a name they don't like. Three mm-hmm. years later, somebody quits the band, etc. But you guys are mm-hmm. at that point kind of into being a brand more so than just a band. Yep. Can you touch on oh, that? Oh, yeah. Great, great, great question. Great question, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, we were the Space Pimps for a long time, 2004 to 2017. Mm-hmm. We toured Japan. We toured Europe. We've, we sold 15,000 units of, of, of uh, uh, our record that came out in 2011 called Stuck Here Forever. Um, I think that we, you know, we, we were so young when we, I mean, 17, I guess now it's young, but then it wasn't that young to start playing guitar and being in a band. But 17, we just kind of made the name up and like sure. didn't think, I, I don't think any of us, I, in our brains, we were like, oh, we're going to be huge. But like, I think in reality, we went to the strict private school. We were going to go to college. We were going to get some stupid white collar job, you know. And then it just kind of took off, and like you know, we were. I was just floored. Like I remember looking back when we changed the name, and I was like, "Dude, I cannot believe that at you know at 29 years old or whatever, 28 years old, I was like that I've done all of this stuff." But when it comes down to it, like that name was so dumb, it meant nothing. And we had a real, real big close call with a big record label, and I'll never forget. It was 2016. We went to LA to go meet with this big record label. And they were like, yo, you guys are great, blah, blah, blah. You're changing the name. And, like, the inner punk me was like, I don't know if I can swear on this, but I was like, F yeah. you, you know, like, uh, you know, like, I don't, we're not changing our name. We're not going to have some big dude in a, in a, in a million dollar building with a, with a suit on telling me that we can change our name. And we kind of burnt the bridge mm-hmm. over that conversation and that name. And then, like, I don't know, like, a couple years later, I was like, you know what, dude, like, this, the socio political climate is not conducive to have, the word pimp in it. It doesn't represent who we are at all. And what we did was, from a branding perspective, the last record that the Space Pimps released was called Eternal Boy. Right. So we borrowed that album title. So there's kind of a cookie trail that, okay, yeah. I know Eternal Boy, that's the Space Pimp record. And so it was kind of a seamless transition, thankfully. And I think a lot of people were like, this is overdue. Yeah, I, I, I looked at that and I was kind of like, you know, I've heard the name Space Pimps for years, obviously, but then. Yeah. You know, you think about that when when an artist, you know, you see bands fight literally to the death over the right to use the right. name of a band. You know, you you, you see mm-hmm. that a lot in '80s bands right now, where they, you know they're constantly you know suing each other. You know, <laughs> the one remaining guy who is the roadie for the band wants to use the name to be able to tour with you know six people you've never heard of. 
to use a name. You know, a, a lot of people we've talked to, you know, have been in that situation. Or we've, I, I remember having interviews with two different guys from the L.A. Guns in two different versions of the L.A. Guns in the same week. Um, you know, people will will oh, wow. fight for that. And then I looked at you guys, I'm like, well, that's a really, really risky thing from a, from a branding perspective. Was yeah. I mean, other than I the think, cookie think, crumb, was it was it uh, did it help with like merch sales or was it you know somewhat of an issue getting all your social media followers because you you did this in the era of social media you know was it did yeah. that make it easier than if you had done this say ten years earlier? I think I think that that's a that's a double edged sword right I think it's easier if we did it ten years ago in the sense that like we could do it but not you know maybe not. And everybody wouldn't hear about it, mm-hmm. but with social media, it's under a magnifying glass. And then they're like, well, why'd you do it? What's going on? Are you guys breaking up? Or, you know, right. blah, blah, blah. I think that from, from, you know, in terms of like post name change, pre name change, it's unequivocal how much we've grown. Right. It's, it's clear, it's clear to me. And also, you got to understand in the punk genre, I mean, it's a very, and I obviously, I, I back this, but it's a very PC culture. You know, mm-hmm. it's a very, um, you know, I just was reading an article in, in Pitchfork about, uh, you know, bands that have kind of ruined their careers over decisions they made 15 years ago. Yeah. I mean, that stuff can really catch up with you. And, and I, you know, rightfully so sometimes and not rightfully so other times. But I think for us, it, it, is a, it was a complete, like, misrepresentation of what we are, right. what we believe in and, and kind of what we stand for. But I think that, you know, for example, we, we just released, obviously, Bad Days Are Over as our second record under Eternal Boy. Like, it was four weeks in the top Billboard 100, you know? Our last record, Awkward Phase, uh, you know, went to, to number one on the Heat Seekers in 2017. Um, we were in the Heat Seekers for, for almost two months. So I think that it, it opened ourselves up to a whole demo of people that maybe didn't give us a chance. Right. I'll never forget that uh, when we submitted the Space Times first kind of single to, to radio here in Pittsburgh, uh, one of the disc jockeys on air, I'm not kidding, on air, I mean, I'm not going to name who it was, but he goes, oh, we just got this demo from a band called The Space Pimps. Must be three white guys who can't play their instruments. <laughs> you know, because yeah. though, though that's probably correct, you know, I mean, uh, to some degree, uh, you know, it, just, it, had a, it had an aura about it that really inhibited us yeah. from being able to kind of reach the people we wanted to. Yeah, and that's a great point because it's, it's easy to look at a band and say, okay, it's a three-piece band. They're in the pop punk genre i mean because it's almost impossible to hide from a genre once you get tagged with it to make those kind of assumptions Mm -hmm. you know these guys are a knockoff of blink 182 or green day or whatever Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean that makes total sense and you know the fact that you've come through that and are still moving product and charting is is a great testament to the fan base you had and probably indicative that it was a great great idea to do the the latest album bad days are over um very good title for as we sit here in 2021 can you talk about when that music came about though i mean you released that you know just mm. a few not at this point about two in three April, months yeah. ago right but were the songs you know a lot of times when an album comes out in in april the songs may be two and a half years old at that point was this <laughs> was this kind of a COVID album uh, good, uh, yeah, no, it was not a COVID album. Um, we, uh, it was just like, it was almost foreshadowed. We finished tracking vocals. We recorded it, we recorded in New Jersey with 
uh, you know, like a, a rock producer like that has done every one of our favorite bands, uh, you know, in our genre. Um, we were really lucky to work with him. It's the third time we worked with him. Um, his name's Chris Badami. Uh, we, we tracked the record. Um, we finished tracking it in February of 2020. Okay. So we come home from recording, you know, the, the, the world shuts down three weeks later. So, and we were really conflicted at first about, do we release this during COVID? What does that look like? We can't tour. But really, when are we going to be able to tour? Like, early on, we were really more optimistic that, like, yeah, like, fall, we can tour. and we Because for a band like us to not be able to play shows on a record yeah. is, some could argue, is detrimental. Sure. Um, you know, but because, I mean, the whole playing field was pretty much leveled, uh, we did decide to release it. Um, I guess that makes it about, you know, a year later. Uh, the songs were written probably summer of 2019. Okay. We record we recorded them in, like I said, in the early early 2020, um, and then it came out. So I guess it's about a year and a half old. Really, the songs were a year and a half old. But there's a, a band that we grew up listening to in our genre called Rufio, mm-hmm. and they had a record, and, and it was a song called Little World, and the chorus is um, uh, says, you know, the bad days are over, and, and it stuck with me. It's an old record, it came out in 2010. Um, and we were going to call Awkward Phase our last record that, but it didn't seem apropos. And then, you know, with what was going on in the world, the record has a lot of retrospection mm-hmm. in it. You know, a lot of like, you know, like, is this the right choice? Or, you know, what's my life going to look like? And it seemed like, you know, that kind of had a more profound meaning in 2020. So I think that um, though it was not a COVID record, a lot of the songs, for example, we have a song, the first track we released was called A Long Year. That was called a long year before the out before COVID. Um, so it just seemed fitting to do it that way. Yeah. Um, but I would not call it like a COVID record. Sure. No, that, that makes sense. You guys were, you know, kind of sidelined the way a lot of bands were who, you know, are putting out albums right now where these, mm-hmm. it was like in the, in, in the bag, ready to go. But then, you know, what do you do with it? You know, put it out there let it fizzle yeah. and start working on the next album already so you know it makes sense it just it, it works so well in today's world as a you know i can't speak to what it would have been like to listen to in night in 2019 right but in 2021 you're like whoa wow these guys are prophets um l- let me let me end with this question <laughs> you guys made a fantastic video for the l word um reminded me very much of, of kind of watching the early 90s late 80s sort of videos where there's a story interwoven <laughs> but but such a, a left turn at the very end and i don't want to give it away for anybody that that, that <laughs> watches the video because you're like okay this is going to end this way you know and, and I, again i don't want to spoil it but can you talk about you know obviously that was not a cheap thing to make I mean, videos are inexpensive for a band um yeah you know a lot of bands will do lyric videos just to get the audio out on youtube because there's such a, a wide margin but you guys really put some time in can you talk about you know how you go around you know as far as a producer the storyline of the video how that kind of gets drawn yeah. up and how you're involved with it yeah totally love, love to talk about our words my favorite video we ever did it was a big production we had a, a team from maryland um called syndicate row uh come and do it second video we did with them and and i guess this kind of even goes back to the COVID discussion it's like well we can't tour we can't do shows, you know. We did a we did a live stream album release show, but you know we uh, we decided to really spend our marketing dollars that was allocated for the record um, on this. 
And, you know, the song's really unique. And again, you know, I don't mind talking about the twist. Obviously, people can go, can sure. go watch it on YouTube. But, um, yeah, so, like, the L word is essentially a song that's about a really, really uh, that doesn't really know their, themselves and they meet this person, you know, a significant other they think that kind of shows them the way. Um, and this person's independent, right? Yeah. They don't give a crap what anybody thinks about them. Uh, they encompass everything kind of that your best qualities can be in many ways where you're not deterred by people that bring you down. You're not deterred by, uh, you know, naysayers or, or maybe because you're different or you don't think the same way or feel the same way about something. Um, and this person is kind of falling for them. And it's like this prototypical, right? Like mm -hmm. love story where, you know, this, 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 uh, you know, this person is showing them the way and the light. And then at the end of the video, you know, the person goes in for a kiss thinking that that's what, where they were headed and they get punched in the face. Um, because again, you know, uh, you don't always need to fall in love with somebody for them to teach you a lesson about sure. life. Um, and again, it goes it goes with that mantra of, of what this person is. They're independent. They're strong. They don't need, you know, somebody to to tell them that that they're worth something or a kiss to feel good about themselves or whatever it may be. Um, it kind of takes the romanticism away to some degree, but it really is more of a self empowering video, particularly for females in in 2021 and in, in the world we live in today, where it seems like, you know, it, it's it's just an unfortunate world sometimes that, that we live in kind of a culture that fosters some negativity towards, you know, women. And I think that uh, my, I, it's really a lot about my sister in many ways too. I mean, my sister really kind of influenced me a lot in terms of um, the music I listen to uh, as well as kind of just being super independent, not giving a crap what people think. She really embodies that. Um, and it's really a, t a kind of um, a, uh, you know, on a, embracement and kind of an accepting of those types of people in our lives that we kind of really need to, you know, accept more and kind of take, take to heart a little more than we do. Awesome. Now the four chord festival, you mentioned that, and obviously that's the name of your, your independent label, but the four chord festival itself, uh, wild things park yep. doing it big this year. Um, this is the <laughs> seventh year for this. Um, yep. You mentioned uh, earlier in the interview, you mentioned the Ataris on the, on the, the bill that day i mean how amazing is this you know to be involved in not only playing in it you know which is kind of a i'm sure a dream come true to be doing this but also be involved mm -hmm. in the organization and the you know production of this show yeah i mean it, this is this is my uh this is my baby you know this is uh, the band is my is my grown child and this is my baby uh for for music fest i uh i it's all me there's, you know, everybody, every, a lot of people think that Four Core Music Fest is a big, um, production. It's really just me. I do the talent buying, the marketing, the, the, the logistics, the, I mean, I have some help, obviously, but this is a dream come true, you know, and, and for those that don't know, I mean, unfortunately, uh, the original headliner for Four Core Music Fest 2020, and then we rescheduled to July and now I had to move to September was Blink 182, mm -hmm. which is my, has been the, the goal of mine since I can ever imagine. Um, but I, of course, I don't know if you've heard, but Mark Hoppus from Blink-182 was diagnosed with cancer. Sure. And so they canceled all of their 2021 tour dates as he gets treatment for it. Um, and so we unfortunately had to replace Blink with a band called Rise Against. But Forker Music Fest is my, um, I'd say my giving back, the most I can possibly give to the scene that, that, that I love. And we talked earlier and you mentioned that 
you know, when you talk about the Clarks and, the, and Gathering Field and, you know, those types of bands really get that DBE push. And we're not a DBE band, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just, we just don't fit that model. Um, this is, this to me is, you know, and a lot of my friends are on it from Pittsburgh. There's a lot of Pittsburgh bands. This is the giving back. You know, this is really the, you know, this is for all the bands that can't get on the radio. This is for all the Pittsburgh bands that, you know, maybe you think that, that, that they, they're not going to get that opportunity. I started it in 2015 because it felt like every tour that was coming to Pittsburgh, we were getting passed on. Sure. And I didn't want, um, I didn't want to have that feeling anymore. So I started booking the bands in our genre, smaller scale. And then, you know, kind of built up to this thing I never thought it would be. Um, essentially a second job, if not my primary job, one would argue. And, uh, but again, you know, I think that, that, We've done, you know, despite the, the lack of DVE coverage or radio play, like, I, I think that Eternal Boy and Space, previously Space Jam, like, Pittsburgh is our bread and butter. You know, we mm-hmm. headline Pittsburgh. It's like our biggest shows on tours. It's, um, we really built it. And Four Court has been a way to do that. Yeah. You know, being able to bring massive talent and get those eyes for bands that I know these people will like if they just heard of, you know. You know, Eternal Boys on it. A band called Lookout Loretta from Pittsburgh is on it. Who are really good friends. They're my favorite punk rock, pop punk band in Pittsburgh. Not many people know about them, um, but this is their opportunity to say, "Yo, like we're here." You know, we had a band la- last year called Atlantic Wasteland, a great Pittsburgh band that you know deserve a lot of attention. They were on it. Um, it's really an ode to Pittsburgh. It's a celebration of Pittsburgh, and for me. Um, it's uh, the most stressful day of the year. <laughs> I was just gonna, that was that was actually going to be my final question. Do you get to enjoy like if, if Blink had been on this? Even you know, obviously these are amazing bands as well. Does it, this day just pure hell for you? Do you get even you know maybe for the period of time when you're on stage, get to enjoy any of this, or is it just you know stress from the you know the night before to the day after? <laughs> it's stressful, but you know I really I'm the kind of person that really thrives off of stress like. I get very bored very easily. I mean, it's very stressful, don't get me wrong. Right right before, the day before is stressful, right up until doors open. And then when doors open, like we did Warp Tour many, many years. And Kevin Lyman is the head of the Warp Tour who started it. It has been a mentor for me in many ways. And I remember every day we'd play Warp Tour. And, you know, when we did, we did like three, four weeks of it one year. I would watch Kevin every single day. And Kevin would like be so stressed before, so stressed during. Then he, he announces on the walkie-talkies, right, doors opening. And then you just see him kind of relax and then deal with things, you know, that are happening throughout the day. That's pretty similar. I do have time to enjoy it a little bit. Um, playing is obviously my euphoria. Uh, but um, seeing people have a good time, like seeing, the, like, yo, like, Pittsburgh is a place for, you know, and if you look at tickets, half of the tickets are from out of state. So yeah. people are coming to Pittsburgh and saying, yo, like, we didn't even know that this scene existed, you know? I mean, it's really, it's really humbling for me to hear Fulcrum Music Fest, uh, Alternative Press article came out talking about like the punk festivals in the U.S. and it's Riot Fest, you know, and punk rock bowling and Four Chord was up there. It's like, yo, like we did that together, Pittsburgh. You know what I mean? Like it's like it, it, it Pittsburgh is my favorite place on planet Earth. Honest to God, we've toured Japan and Europe and every, all over the place. And every time I come home to Pittsburgh, it legitimately feels like this is where I'm supposed to be. And to do the festival here in Pittsburgh is uh, really rewarding for me because I love it so much. And I do get to enjoy it. Awesome. Well, Rishi, I want to thank you so much for, for your time. Uh, Bad Days are over available now. The Four Chord Festival tickets are available as well. So 
opportunity to come out and see you guys play and do this amazing material live. So I want to thank you so much, man. I wish you all the best. Thank you very much for having me, man. You've been very kind, very great questions, and let me know any way I can help in the future. All right, thank you again to Rishi of Eternal Boy. The Four Chord Music Festival, as I mentioned, is on the 17th Washington Wild Things Park. Uh, tickets still available. Again, it'll be an amazing show, an amazing opportunity. I know, as a you know, rock metal fan, a lot of us look at these kind of festivals that happen in other cities, the Download Festival in other countries, the uh, Rock on the Range um, M3 Festival. Here's a festival happening literally in our in our backyard. Head down 79, head out Route 70. You're gonna go through Washington, PA. Uh, an amazing bill of musicians uh, there on the 17th. So head out to that uh, and support, you know, the local festivals. That's the kind of thing that gets future festivals in the city. Uh, I'm gonna turn our attention now uh, to Kurt uh, Deemer, who is coming in to do a show with Jeff Tate. He will be the primary support. For Jeff Tate when he comes to Jurgles on the 16th of September. That's in uh, just a few days from the time you're going to hear this. Uh, Kurt released a video for Have a Cigar, uh, a cover of the Pink Floyd classic, and uh, only at, at the moment has the one song available to listen to shortly thereafter. You're going to hear a lot more from Kurt. Uh, it was extremely piqued curiosity-wise when I saw that his band... Uh, included Phil X. Phil, as you remember, was on the podcast uh, just about a year or so ago uh, with Phil and the Thrills. Uh, he did a uh, album, and also right before the Bon Jovi 2020 album came out, which was an amazing album that uh, I think is worth a listen if you haven't checked it out. So uh, Kurt was cool enough to come on, introduce himself, uh, talk about the band. So if you're going out to see Jeff Tate, you know you may not have heard of the opening act there's a chance get a chance to listen to them get familiar with what they're about very cool very down-to-earth guy expect a lot of things from him so without further ado mr kurt dimer all right ladies and gentlemen my pleasure to welcome iron city rocks we have in the line kurt dimer how you doing today kurt good how are you john thank you so much for having me man my pleasure you're going to be coming in on the 16th of september to jurgles opening the show for the incomparable jeff tate uh, who will be doing a mega show on the Empire album, if I'm not mistaken, that night. Um, I wanted to get a chance to, to to know a little bit more about you. I've seen your video. You've got a really cool vocal style. I did a cover of Floyd Pink Floyd's Have a Cigar, which I thought was a really cool choice of a song to cover. Um, I know you've, you've been involved in, in acting. You were in Halloween, uh, Trading Paint, uh, for example. Um, but what kind of brought you to music at this stage of your career? Well, after uh, I had kind of tabled it my whole life, and then after I had those two breaks, uh, I met up with my, my first uh, writing partner, uh, Ben Trexel, and he wanted me to recut some vocals on a few songs that him and a, a guy had written down in Alabama. And I said, yeah, I like the tunes, but I, I, the, the vocals are just very generic, kind of like... Uh, Ben's got just a very plain voice, and he totally gets that. And I said, let me let me try my voice. It's unique. I've kind of put it under wraps for a long time, and it really brought my enthusiasm back for the music. And this was December of 2018. So we kept writing together after those initial three and put together a 10-song um, 
10 songs and uh, took them up to David Bendit, you know, who's the, uh, the mix of a lot of Breaking Benjamin stuff. People probably know Breaking Benjamin from sure. Pennsylvania. And uh, David put, took his pass at what we had, and, you know, we had demos. And uh, it, they, they got to, to the next level at least to get me out to L.A., so I took him to L.A., and now at this point I started to have people wanting to manage me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've been through a lot of a lot of shit the last few years just trying to figure out who's real and who's not in the music business. It's pretty ruthless. <laughs> Good luck. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, I've taken my lumps. And uh, but one of my managers uh, said, we need to redo these again. Um, he was a, a mixer by trade, and we... Uh, I took him instead. We didn't go back to David. We we got hooked up with Chris Lord Algae. This was during you know the, first, the initial stages of the COVID crisis, and Chris and I became really good friends. And he believed in the demos, and he, we uh, did our best to make them as best as we could from the original source that we had. Mm-hmm. But our he said, "Let me." We had this. Uh, this cover of Have a Cigar that Ben and I wanted to do, and Ben had laid kind of an idea down on it for my vocals to go with the, with the way you hear the song now. And Chris said, while you're promoting some of this other stuff, I'm going to show you what we can do. We're going to start with Have a Cigar, and I'm going to get my own players. And I said, okay. I got back from doing some promo and came into the studio, and he said, you be Kurt. I want you to sing in your voice. Um, I love the way you have this arranged, and let's introduce the world to what you are. And I thought Have a Cigar was so apropos because it talks about if we all come together as a team, you know, it can be made into a monster. Yeah. And I said, who's the guy playing this smoking guitar solo on this song? <laughs> it's a, he goes, it's the CLA band. And I'm like, Chris, come on, man. We're, we're, be, we're, be, we're becoming really good friends at this point. And uh, I go, you got to tell me, because this is just blowing me away. And it was Phil X, and you know, from Bon Jovi, who took Richie Sambora's spot the last several years. And then Phil and I, we just kept writing together after that, once we knew we were on to something. And what you'll see on this new EP coming out, which we're going to be playing our new EP in its entirety, you know, opening up for Jeff Tate. Mm-hmm. In fact, one of, the, one of the songs on it, features Jeff Tate. That's a little surprise for your listeners. So Excellent. It's a song I wrote called Burn Together, which is going to be coming out prior to the tour as a single with a lyric video. And then throughout the tour, we're going to be releasing a triage or a trilogy, not a triage, a trilogy <laughs> of videos that me and Phil X and Jeff Tate is in the Burn Together one that'll be coming out while we're on tour, then the EP will release around the end of October, beginning of November. But that's kind of it in a quick nutshell for you of how this is all developed. I asked Phil X to be in my band in April, so um, we got all that worked out. So he is officially in my band. When I tour, it will always be me and Phil X. So Yeah, which, which is really cool to hear. I think, uh, you know, obviously... When you when you listen to Phil play, and I know from from social media, he always puts really cool videos. What you hear in Bon Jovi, while phenomenal, is not even scratching the surface of the man's talent. Um, had an opportunity to to have a nice chat with him around the release of some of the Phil Phil and the Thrills uh, stuff. Just a one of the I think 
in an era where we don't have new guitar heroes as much as we should, Phil X should be at the front of that line. Um, so that's a great weapon. Oh, yeah, I totally agree with you, man. I tell them all the time, dude, that when I see these lists, you know, that you and mm-hmm. I probably supposed to see on the Internet. Yeah. He's not never, I never see his. And it's like, dude, you're one of the best guitar players I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. And, Unleash. Unleash it. Now, one of the things that I think, though, you know, when I listen to, to at least the first single from you is just the uniqueness of your voice. And I, I think when you mentioned Ben, you know, saying you be you, uh, you know, to hear you talk and hear you sing, you know, it, it's you've got such a distinct sound, I, you know, and, and that I think is cool because, you know, going on tour with Jeff Tate, you know, it would be easy to put somebody who is an operatic type of singer and, you know, a metal band. But you're going right, to be. Right, right. You know, such a you're not trying to out Tate out Jeff Tate out Jeff Tate, you know, and and that's no. I think what's cool. There's is only there's a Jeff Tate. There's only one Jeff Tate, and I want to create my own voice. Yeah, my voice. There's one Kurt Dimer. It's kind of, one of my major influences as a kid was when ACDC came out with Highway to Hell. Yeah, there's one Bon Scott. Yeah. He didn't. He was. You know what I mean? Why yeah. sing like everybody else does? Singing, be me. Yeah, the way I approach. I, I listen to you listen to the song and I think if Kurt ever quit Kurt's band, which stranger things have happened in the music industry than people quitting a band named after themselves, but they're not going to find somebody who sounds like you. And that's I think you know that's where the money is just to to really capitalize on what makes it distinct. Um, the other singles that you know that you mentioned the, the forthcoming series of videos are these original songs. Yes, everything we do is original. Um, we we have we do have uh, probably Chris and Phil and I have put together five covers that in the future. That's a surprise. I'm letting everybody know about. But we've got an EP coming out end of October, beginning of November, with six songs. Okay. Um, it, it's called Work Hard, Rock Hard. Another little teaser for you. And it's six six songs. One of them features Jeff Tate. It's called Burn Together. And they're all originals. And the way I write, I write everything. I write all my own lyrics. Mm-hmm. I didn't buy in or listen to everybody telling me I had to be in lyric groups and everything. I was a poet. And I'm like, I've got messages. I've got a mission. My grandfather was a motivational speaker. Um, I'm a motivational speaker through my lyrics and my rock. I, there's these to be more positivity. And I want to give people things to think about in their daily life and how we can all be more kind and be peaceful and take care of each other in this world that's missing. So I think you'll see that reflected in my yeah. lyrics and my message. And isn't isn't this the perfect time for that kind of message? You know, to hear you say that, I just like that is exactly what the world is lacking right now is is kindness to one another. Um, you know, so that it's yeah, it's and awesome. I, I handed things up. I've been through a lot in my life, man, and I, I've, I've never been one to sit at the side of the road. I've, I've been knocked down, and I just get back up, and I get back up, and hopefully that'll inspire other people, yeah. you know, to get back up in their life. And I just want people to come to our shows, have a great time, rock the fuck out, and want to get up the next morning, go back to work, because you can't enjoy the party at night if you're not working hard and making a difference during the day. Amen to that. Now, Kurt, um, just are, are you doing this as an independent release? Is this something like they should be going to KurtDimer.com, 
or will this be yeah, um, um all the info yeah all the info right now you can even get to all my social media is at kurt dimer it's k-u-r-t-d-e-i sign up with your email you'll be kept up to date that'll kind of be the hub of our everything i own my own label and everything right now i'm in no rush um to sell my soul to somebody else um i I don't need to um and i've got great management and paul gargano and andy gould um any questions on that they can send to info at kurtdimer.com and andy gould managed rob zombie lincoln park i mean i chris lord algae is a legend in his own name he's my producer and my friend first and foremost and Dimer show, you're going to get to see Phil X unleashed because he's my friend, and we are going to conquer the world to the day we die. That's our goal. Awesome. Kurt, well, thank you so much. We look forward to seeing you. I wish you safe travels. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we will see you on the 16th, man. Well, I look forward to seeing everybody on the 16th, and John, thank you so very much for having me on your show and helping uh, promote what we're about to unleash on the world. People like you, we really do appreciate. All right. That about wraps up this episode of Iron City Rocks. Thank you to Kurt, Rishi, Lawrence Gowan of Styx. Uh, All of them have great things going on. I invite you to check out our site at ironcityrocks.com. We'll have links down to the band sites, the Four Chord Festival, the Jeff Tate Show. Jargle is obviously where you can get Styx's latest album. And invite you to check out our social media. We are at forward slash Iron City Rocks for any of them. Uh, that includes Snapchat, uh, TikTok, you name it. We're on it. LinkedIn. Heck, if you're on LinkedIn, <laughs> you can find us. Uh, reach out to us, ironcityrocks at gmail.com. Let us know the kind of things you like. Do you like the punk stuff? Do you like the classic rock? Do you like hard rock? Do you like metal, blues? You tell us what you enjoy. Uh, we always love to hear from, from listeners uh, what drew you into the show. What kind of artist do you like? So... Let us know. Uh, Don't hesitate to reach out. And until next time, we want to thank you so much for listening.